Chapter 7 of Hindu Tales or The Adventures of 10 Princes by Tandon Translated by P. W. Jacob This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Siddharth Adventures of Upahara Varma While wandering about like the others, I came one day into the country of Videha. Before entering it into Mithila, the capital, I stopped to rest at a small temple and found there an old woman who gave me water for my feet. Observing that she looked at me very hard and that tears came into her eyes, I asked her, O oh mother, what is the cause of your grief? You bring to my mind, she answered, the remembrance of my lost foster child who, if he lives, is just about your age. But I will tell you how he was lost. Prahara Varma was formerly king of this country. His queen was a very dear friend of Vasumati, wife of Rajahansa, king of Magadha. And he went with her and his twin sons to visit that king. How he was conquered and driven from his dominion by the king of Malwa, you have doubtless heard. It was shortly before the invasion that the visit was made. In the battle which was fought, Prahara Varma assisted his friend and was taken prisoner but was subsequently liberated. When returning to his own kingdom, he heard that a rebellion had broken out, headed by his brother's son, Vikata Varma. He therefore turned aside through a forest road in the direction of Sukma, hoping to obtain assistance from his sister's son, the king of that country. On the march, he was attacked and plundered by Bheels and I, having charge of one house chicken, was separated from the party and left behind in the forest. There, I was attacked by a tiger and dropped the child. The tiger was killed by an arrow, but I fainted away, and when I recovered, the child was gone, taken away, I suppose, by the heels. Having been found and taken care of by a compassionate cowherd, I stayed at his cottage till my wounds were healed. Longing to get back to my friends and to hear some tidings of my mistress, I was surprised one day by the appearance of my daughter, who had been with me in charge of the other child. After mutual congratulation and embraces, she told me her story as follows. After we were parted, I was wounded by the robbers, lost the child, and was found wandering about by one of the foresters who took care of me and afterwards wished to make me his wife. I was too much disgusted with him and his way of life to consent, and, after many threats, he would at last have killed me. But for the opportune arrival of a young man who appeared to be passing, and rescued me from his hands, that young man has since become my husband. We have been searching for you, and have now happily found you. I asked, Who was the man? He answered, I am the servant of the king of Mithila, to whom I am now going. Then we all three went to Mithila and told the king and queen the sad news of the loss of their children. The war was still going on, and at last the king was overcome and imprisoned, together with his queen, by his wicked nephew. Since then I have been living as a mendicant, my daughter, whose husband was killed in the war, being destitute like myself, has entered the service of Kalpasundari, queen of the usurper. Ah! If those princes had lived, 
they would have rescued their father from such degradation. Since she began then to weep and lament, but I comforted her and said, Do you not remember speaking to a certain Muni and telling him of the loss of the child? That boy was found by him. I am he, and I will contrive some means for killing that wicked usurper and setting my prince free. No one can recognize me here, not even my own mother, were she to see me. Therefore I shall be able at my leisure to consider what is best to be done. Exceedingly delighted at hearing this, she kissed me again and again and said, with tears of joy, Oh, darling, a glorious fortune is before you. Now you are here, all will be well. You will soon lift up your parents from the sea of sorrow which has engulfed them. Happy is the queen Priyambada in having such a son. Then she gave me such food as she had, and I stayed with her and passed the night in that temple. As I lay awake, I turned over in my mind every plan that suggested itself for me for the accomplishment of my purpose, knowing how ready-witted women are in general and their fondness for tricks and intrigues. It occurred to me that my foster sister, from her position near the queen, might be able to give me material assistance. In the morning, after worshipping the gods, I began to question the old woman as to her knowledge of the interior of the palace, and asked whether she had frequent opportunities of seeing her daughter. Scarcely had she begun to answer my questions when I saw someone coming towards us, and she exclaimed, O oh, Pushkarika, behold our master's son, that dear child whom I so carelessly lost in the forest was found and preserved, and is now restored to us. Great was the daughter's delight at seeing me, and when her agitation had subsided, her mother said to her, I was just beginning to tell my dear son something of the arrangement of the palace and the habits of the inmates, but you can give him the required information much better than I can. In answer to this, she told me all the arrangements of the palace, and added, The queen Kalpasundari, the daughter of the sovereign of Kumara, is exceedingly beautiful and accomplished. She despises her husband, who is exceedingly ugly, but though unkindly treated and neglected, she has hitherto been faithful to him. Hearing this, I said to her, Whenever you have an opportunity, dwell on the king's licentiousness. Find out, if possible, his scandalous armors, make much of them, tell her how other women have behaved in similar circumstances. In short, do everything to stir up her indignation and jealousy against him, and, as soon as possible, let me know what she says. You may help me greatly in this affair, therefore be diligent and observant, and be as much as possible with your mistress. Then I said to the old woman, You must also play your part. You can be introduced to the queen as a woman skilled in charms and fortune-telling. When you get her to listen to you, make the most of the opportunity, and second your daughter's endeavors. They both promised to do their utmost. After they were gone, I took a small house close to the wall of the royal gardens and waited patiently for the result. After some days the old woman came to me and said, Darling, we have done exactly as you wished. The queen has taken a great fancy to me, is very indignant with her husband and thinks herself greatly to be pitied. What is now to be done? I then painted a portrait of myself and said, Show this to the queen. She will no doubt admire it and say, Is this a portrait or a fancy picture? Then do you answer. 
Suppose it should be a portrait of some living person. What then? And whatever she says in reply, let me know as soon as possible. The next day she came to me and said, When I showed your portrait to the queen, she gazed at it a long time and seemed lost in admiration. Then she exclaimed, Who can have painted this? Is it possible that such a handsome man can exist in the world? Surely there is no one here like this? I answered, O oh lady, your admiration is quite natural. Such a handsome man is very rarely to be found. But still, there might be such a one, and if this should be really the portrait of a young man longing to see you, not only thus handsome, but of good birth, very learned, accomplished, and good-tempered, what would you say then? What would you say then? What would I say? I say, that he will be mine, all that I can give him in Britain, myself, my heart, my body, my life, will be all too little. But surely you are only deceiving me. There never can be such a charming person as this picture represents. In answer to this I said, I am not deceiving you. There is really such a person, a young prince, who is staying here in disguise. He saw you when you were walking in the public park at the feast of spring and immediately became a mark for the arrows of Kama. Moved by his entreaties and seeing how suited you are to each other, I have ventured to take this means of making his passion known to you. If you will but consent to see him, however difficult access to you may be, his courage, prudence and ingenuity are so great that he will certainly affect it. Only say what your pressure is. Then finding her quite disposed to see you, I told her your real name and birth. After reflecting some time she said, Mother, I will not conceal from you a circumstance which his name brings to my memory. My father was a great friend of the deposed king, and their queens were much attached to each other. It was settled between them that if one had a son and the other a daughter, the two children would be engaged for marriage. But when Queen Priyamada had lost her sons, my father gave me in marriage to Vikata Varma. This young prince was really destined to be my husband, and I ought to have him instead of that ugly wretch who was stupid, ignorant of all arts of pleasing, brutal, rebellious, cruel, boastful, false, and above all, most insulting in his behavior to me. Only yesterday he ill-treated my favorite attendant, Pushkarika, and gathered flowers from a plant which I had especially cherished to give to one of his paramours, a low vulgar woman who is trying to put herself on an equality with me. He is in every way unsuited to me, and my misery is so great that I am ready to catch at any means of escape from it. It was wretched enough while I thought no one else. But now that I have heard of this charming young man and seen his portrait, I will endure it no longer. Whatever the consequences may be, therefore, let him come tomorrow evening to the Madhavi Bawa in the garden. I am impatient to see him. Even the hearing of him has filled my heart with love. When the old nurse had given me this account, I determined to risk the adventure and obtained from her a minute description of the garden, the direction of the road and paths, the exact situation of the summer house where I had to meet the queen and where the guards were stationed. Having carefully impressed all these details on my memory, I waited impatiently for the following night. 
and lay down to rest. As I lay, I thought on the difficulty of the enterprise, of the sin of seducing the wife of another, and of what Raja Vahana and my other friends would say to such conduct. On the other hand, I seemed to be justified by the object I had in view, the liberation of my parents. Perplexed with these conflicting thoughts, I fell asleep and dreamed that Vishnu appeared to me and said, Go on boldly, without hesitation. What you are about to do, though it may seem sinful, is approved of by me. Encouraged by this vision, I rose in the morning, fully confirmed in my purpose. The tedious day came at last to an end, and the darkness set in. When the proper time arrived, I put on a close-fitting dark dress, girded on my sword, and set out on the dangerous and and set out on the dangerous enterprise. Concealed at the edge of a ditch, I found a long bamboo which the old woman had procured for me. This I laid across, and so got to the bottom of the wall, and incautiously rising it, I climbed to the top, just where a large heap of bricks had been piled up inside. Using these as steps, I got safely to the ground and walked northward through an avenue of champaka trees. Whereas a favourable omen, I heard the low murmuring cry of a pair of chakravakas. Taking an almost opposite direction, I saw before me what appeared to be a great building, and it was only by touching it that I found it to be a clump of trees. Going eastward and turning once more to the south, I passed through some mango trees and saw the light of the lantern shining among the leaves. I then knew that I was right and went straight up to the bower instead of which was a summer house with steps leading up to it and spread with soft figs and flowers for a carpet the room was furnished with a handsome couch a golden water jar trays of flowers fans after i had been seated a short while i heard the tinkling of ornaments and smelt of powerful perfume rising up hastily i slipped out and stood concealed by the shops outside Presently I saw the lady enter. She looked up. She looked about her, and not seeing me, was evidently disappointed and distressed. I heard her say, with a sad low voice, Alas, I am deceived. He is not coming. Oh, my heart, how can this be borne? O adorable Kama, what have I done to offend thee, that thou dost burnst me, and dost not reduce me to ashes? Having heard these, I made my appearance and said, O lovely lady, do you ask how you have offended Kama? You have given him great offence since since you disparage his beloved Rati by your form, his bow by your arched eyebrows, his arrows by your glances, his great friend, the perfumed wind of Malaya by your sweet breath, the notes of his favourite bird by your voice. For all this Kama justly torments you. But I have done nothing to offend him. Why should he, so distress me, have pity on me and cure the wound inflicted by the serpent of love with the life-giving antidote of an affectionate look? Delighted at seeing me, she inquired no entreaty on my part and readily yielded to my empress. And sitting down on the couch, we conversed as though we had been long acquainted. At last the time for separation arrived and I rose up to go. But she with tears detained me, saying, When you depart, my life seems to follow. If you go, let me go with you. I answered, O oh, my beloved, that is impossible. If you love me, be guided by me. 
and we shall soon meet again, not to be parted. This she readily promised, and I told her exactly what was to be done. Then quitting her with reluctance, I returned safely by the way I had come, and she went back to the palace. The next day she showed the picture to the king, who greatly admired it, and asked where she had got it. She told him, I have lately made acquaintance with a very wonderful old woman who has travelled many countries and seen many strange things. She is very skilful in charms and has brought me this picture, saying, It has very great magical powers, and so confident I am in their efficacy that I ask for no payment or reward until you have fully proved them. She tells me that if certain ceremonies are performed and mantras which she has taught me are recited in a retired spot at midnight, I shall be changed to a person exactly resembling the portrait, and shall have the power of transferring that form to you, while I regain my own shape. I have thought it right to tell you this, but do not act hastily, show the picture to your ministers and consult them. The king, greatly astonished, but very desirous of obtaining such a handsome body, asked the opinion of his counsellors and younger brothers. They saw no reason why the experiment should not be tried. The hour of midnight on the day of full moon was therefore appointed for the ceremony, and there was much talk in the city about it. Oh, the wonderful power of magic! Through the skill of the queen, the king will obtain a new body fit for a god. But is there no danger? How can there be danger when the ceremony is to be performed by his own queen in his own private gardens, where no stranger can enter? Besides, have not the learned and clever ministers and counsellors approved of it? And is it likely that they would be deceived? The city was full of such talk as this, and the people awaited with impatience the night appointed for the working of the miracle. When the time arrived, a great heap was made in a part of the garden where four roads met, not far from the summer house, with large quantities of sandalwood, lignalos, and other sweet-smelling woods, camphor, silk cresses, sesame, saffron, and other various species, and several animals, duly slaughtered by the priests, were laid upon it. And the fire having been lighted, everyone withdrew except the king and queen. She then said to him, You know how faithless you have been to me, and, and with this handsome body you will be a much greater attraction to other women. I know the fickleness of your disposition. Can you expect that I will confer on you this beauty for the sake of my rivals? Then he knew himself at her feet, and said, O oh, my darling, forgive my transgressions. I swear by everything solemn that in future I will try to keep to you only, and not even think of any other woman. After these and many other protestations, she appeared to be satisfied and said, Now withdraw to that clamp of trees and stay till I ring the bell, then you may come again to the fire and see the wonderful change in me. Meanwhile, under the cover of the thick smoke arising from the burning of all the substances I had climbed, I had climbed the wall as before, and standing in the summer house, when the queen came in, she said, Everything is ready. I regard myself now as entirely yours. Nothing shall part us any more. And throwing her arms around my neck, she kissed me again and again saying to her, Stay here concealed while I finish the work. I quitted her, went to the place of sacrifice, and rang a bell hanging on a neighboring tree, and the sound summoned the king, like a messenger of death. 
He found me standing by the fire, throwing on it more sandalwood, lignaloes, and other precious things. And as he stood gazing in fear and astonishment, in hardly believing the eyes, I said to him, Remember what you have promised, and now swear to me again, taking the sacred fire as a witness that you will renounce all other women and keep to me only. He answered, O queen, there is no deceit in me. I will do all that I have promised. And he repeated his former oaths. But as if not satisfied with this, I said, I must have other proof of your sincerity. Tell me some of your state secrets. Then he told me, My father's brother, Prahar Varma, has been for a long time in prison with the consent of my ministers. I intend to poison him and give out that he had died of old age and infirmities. I am preparing an army to be commanded by my brother for the invasion of Puntra without any declaration of war. There is a merchant here possessed of a diamond of immense value. I am contriving a plan by which I shall get it from him at a tenth of its worth. There is a man of wealth and influence very displeasing to me. I have engaged a certain person named Satahali, the governor of the district, to bring a false accusation against him and by that means to stir up the people and so cause his death in a popular tumult which will take away all blame or suspicion from me. When I had heard all these things, saying, Die the death which your wicked deeds deserve, I suddenly seized him by the throat, stabbed him in a moment to the heart and threw the body into the great fire where it was quickly consumed, after which I went back to the queen who was anxiously awaiting me. Though much agitated, she was more relieved at having got rid of that wretch than shocked at the manner of his death. And having quieted and consoled her without much difficulty, I went at once with her to her apartments. On seeing him, whom they believed to be the king so changed, the woman and the attendants who met us were evidently much astonished so much had been said beforehand about the wonderful transformation to be expected that no one seemed to doubt that I was really the king with a new body. And having said a few words of encouragement to them, I was received with great respect. The rest of the night was passed in hearing from the queen as much as possible about the court, the ministers, so that I might not appear to be ignorant of what the king must have done when I should meet them on the morrow. In the morning after the performance of due worship of the gods, I met the ministers in council, and they also were so convinced of the power of magic that they did not hesitate to acknowledge me as their master, expressing their delight at the happy change. Then I said to them, With this new body I have new feelings and purposes. I repent of cruelty to my uncle, and instead of getting rid of him as I had intended, it is my pleasure that he shall be taken from prison and treated with all proper respect. That diamond of which I had intended to get possession must not be obtained by fraudulent means. If I decide on having it, I will pay the full price. To the brother who has been appointed to command the army, I said, Dear brother, our purpose is changed with regard to that invasion. You will only watch the frontier, and if there is any beginning of war on the part of the Pontus, attack them vigorously but not otherwise. I sent also for Satahali and said, You know that I wish to get rid of Anantasira because he was suspected of being a partisan of the deposed king. Now that I am reconciled to my uncle, there is no occasion for anything to be done to him. 
you will therefore take no further steps in that affair. When the ministers heard all this, and perceived me to be acquainted with the secrets known only to the king and themselves, they were quite confirmed in their first impression, and while congratulating me and the queen, they loud in their praise of the power of magic. My parents were immediately liberated from prison, and having informed by the old nurse of what had been done by me, were quite prepared when I went to them in public, and afterwards, when we met in private, were able to give away to their feelings of affection and delight at seeing me again. After a short time, with the consent of my wife, I resigned the crown and reinstated my parents in their former position, retaining for myself the dignity of heir apparent. Soon afterwards, a letter arrived from Sinhavarma, an old friend of my father's, congratulating him on his restoration and asking for help against Chandravarma, who was marching to attack him upon which I hastily equipped an army and marched to his assistance, and have now had the great happiness of meeting you, as well of helping to defeat the enemy. Rajivahana, having heard the story, smiled and said, Truly our friend here has committed great sins, but how can I blame him when his motives were so good, and he had the praise for the object of liberating from a long imprisonment to those who are so dear to him? and of punishing the usurper and oppressor. His courage and ingenuity have been great, and I congratulate him on his success. Then turning toward Tapala, he said, Do you relate your adventures? And he immediately began his story in the following manner. End of chapter 7